0: Hello, and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. I'm Tom Reed, uh, being joined, as always, by Dave Molinari and Taylor Haas. Uh, We will, a little bit later, be joined by Molly Walker from the New York Post. I need to get that in there right now because there's so much to cover. I don't want to forget everybody's names. Wow, Uh, what a game uh, we witnessed uh, last night, the Pittsburgh Penguins taking a two to one series lead with a wild five to four win. Brandon Tanev uh, with the game winning goal uh, in a game that the Penguins seemed to have complete control of after two periods. And boy, did things get crazy! Uh, the penalty boxes looked like youth hostels; they were so packed. Uh, a great game by Jeff Carter. Uh, Malkin, a couple of assists in his return, but you guys are the ones covering it. Dave, you were in Uniondale tonight. What is your headline coming out of this game?
1: Um, can I have an entire section to uh, fill with headlines? You can,
0: you can use the whole roundtable, Dave.
1: <laughs> there uh, there were quite a few. I guess if I had to uh, single out one thing, it would probably be the the continued goal scoring of, of Jeff Carter, who – you know, not, not only scores goals, but is scoring them at, at incredibly significant points in games. Um <clears throat> But we also shouldn't though, overlook the, the play of Chris Letang, who, you know, just was outstanding uh, again in this game. I mean, he was, he was just spectacular in a, in a game that that had a lot of standout individual performances. I, I thought he was really, really
0: good. Yeah. We're going to get to him in our, in our second segment. Uh, but, but Taylor, uh, what is your headline coming up game tonight?
2: Yeah, I'm just writing a piece looking at, uh, Malkin's return. I mean, it, that was a great way for him to, him to come back to assist. Um, I thought he looked strong. He, he was taking contact and he seemed to be handling that well. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I know people, you know, you, you wondered about how ready he was just because of, you know, how long he's been off. But uh, it seems like he's uh, not really feeling any too, too ill effects of, of whatever he was dealing with um, to, to start the playoffs. Uh we'll
0: stay, stick with you since we're talking about Malkin. Uh, you, you see little moments of genius from great players every once in a while. And I thought, while, while obviously the headline of the play is, is Carter's second goal, Uh, To give to give the uh, restore the lead briefly for the Penguins that little pass Mm -hmm. straightforward you just don't see players make that little pass forward very often they're usually they're usually whipping it around east west in that situation I I believe that was the power play goal correct
2: that was the power play goal yeah so
0: that's very rarely do you see a guy just throw a a straightforward pass into the line I think it even surprised Carter. And then he, he he took care of the rest. I thought Gino was was terrific tonight.
2: Yeah, and I mean the what the Penguins' power play has been you know pretty flat, um, especially the last game. Uh, it really looked bad. So, I mean that's just a huge addition getting Malkin back and and you know seeing what he can do for the power play now. Because um, uh, yeah, that that like the two kills the Islanders had in, in game two, like back to back after, you know, the flat Penguins power plays, that has, that could have swung the momentum. You know, that, could, that couldn't give the Islanders energy to, you know, shut the Penguins power play down like that. So getting Malkin back for the power play uh is, is really big.
0: Dave, I want to go back to your, your first point about Jeff Carter. Again, two goals tonight, three goals in this series. uh And tonight, 70% face-off percentage on a night where Teddy Blueger I thought struggled a little bit in faceoffs uh, during some some of the PKs they actually brought Carter back out but but the, the the takeaway and we've talked about this from the moment he arrived in Pittsburgh his willingness to shoot the puck not make the extra pass just put it on the net he's got such a great wrist shot and boy did he come up with two clutch goals tonight
1: yeah, and he he seems to have a knack for putting pucks off the post and into the net, and he does it often enough that you think it's not just dumb luck that he actually is able to uh, make those calculations in his head uh, before he let lets the puck loose. Uh, yeah, he he's just been extraordinary, and on a night, I mean, the the Penguins ended up faring not so badly in. Uh, you know, in general on face-offs, I think they, you know, they were a little below 50%, uh, but he was outstanding in that regard, especially after the first period. I think he only won three of his first seven uh, in that period, but he, he, as I believe you noted, he ended up winning 70% of his draws, which was, uh, made him the only Penguin to uh, finish on the, uh, the sunny side of 50% in this and- game.
0: And so many of those wins in the defensive zone. The one that really stood out was uh, they they got kind of trapped in their zone for a long stretch there, in the last five or six minutes. I mean, so much was going on. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly when, but they just calmly iced the puck because they know they have him on the ice, and he, sure enough, he wins the faceoff. They get out they get off the ice, and uh, a minor crisis averted there. Uh, guys, this was a. Th- As I said, this was a three-to-one game going into the third period, and here at uh, the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast on nights where we have to go live, I start jotting notes down. I had the whole script written out. I mean, it's we're done. We got seven or eight points in the first two sections, first two segments of this. They're done and dusted, and all hell breaks loose in the third period. Uh, Taylor, you could tell that the Islanders were going to come up. They ramped up the intensity. All of a sudden, we had scrums. We had wild, wild just scrums and guys screaming at each other. uh, And it really changed the complexion of the game, did it not, in the third period?
2: Yeah, it did, Uh, especially, uh, you know, the Coliseum crowd. They were – that fired them up. um, And, you know, it seemed like that gave the Islanders a a little boost of energy too. Um, But, I mean, yeah, we've been seeing that kind of – the scrums, that kind of physicality – the chippiness uh it, you know last game too um i, I mean and then this game you know the way the penalty box is filled up not a great trade off for the penguins because i mean the penguins ended up with <laughs> their top line and their top defense All pairing yeah, yeah like, <laughs> All stars out there. and it hurt
0: them yeah. on the it hurt them on the pk we'll get to that in a second but yeah you, you lose Dumoulin and uh yeah. Letang, correct so,
2: yeah yeah so yeah then i mean those are you know pk guys and then you know obviously your your top line too um not uh, not a great trade off for the Penguins, um, but uh, so I, I guess that's something to, to be mindful of moving forward because um, if the Islanders can like the Islanders that will will take that trade you know to get those guys off the ice. It's um, yeah, just a, a crazy in uh, that uh, crazy third period.
0: Dave, I want to stick on on the scrums for a minute and something that Mike uh, Mike Sullivan addressed after the game. You know, again. You don't want any of your players dropping gloves with some of these guys, especially a guy like Matt Martin or whoever. I thought they stood up to, for each other to a man in, in that, where, where the Islanders, again, had some rough guys on the ice at different times. I thought that the Penguins really, really stood up for each other. And that, that, I think that really, that bonds a unit, does it not?
1: Yeah, I thought, I mean, they, they answered the bell. They're They're not, you know a team of heavyweights, they're, they're not going to fare. If this comes down to a bare knuckles brawl, (laughs) you know, they're, they're, uh, they're going to be in trouble, but you know, they, they stood up for themselves. They, uh, you know, they had a a good kind of wolf pack mentality there of, uh, you know, having each other's backs and, you know, they, they came through it. Okay. It's uh, yeah. That, you know, the, the trade off of the specific trade off of personnel uh, isn't what they would want, but uh, you know, it didn't, uh, it didn't do any lasting damage to them. Uh, I, I think they, the penalties they should be more concerned about are some of the pointless ones they took. Yeah. You
0: know, the, the cancel uh, one really is the one that, that for me stood out. Luger took one earlier and Gensel takes a one that ends up leading to the goal.
1: Yeah, and Jared McCann took the one where uh, yeah. you know, he cross-checked
0: the defenseman uh, in,
1: into the crossbar yeah. for no apparent reason. That That's the kind of unforced error that you're really lucky to get away with uh, and, and not have it cost you a game in the playoffs. I, uh, I suspect that while there is an awful lot that Mike Sullivan uh, had – to, uh, to like about what he saw Thursday night. Um, some of those penalties that his players took, uh, I suspect, will be discussed before game
0: four. In, in a game that was 5-4, to four, uh, Sidney Crosby doesn't have a point but may have made the defensive play of the game right at the end where he makes a lunging, just a poke check on what looked like was going to be, I don't know if it was going to be a tap-in, but I can't remember who the Islander was, but had a lot of net to shoot at. Could have tied the game at five-five. Uh, Sid, we, we've talked about this before, uh, 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 Taylor. That 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 he, you know, he should get some Selkie votes this year. And boy, that I know that's it's a regular season award, but that would be right on the top of my list. You know the plan. I'm just, I'm recalling.
2: Yeah, yeah, right at the end. And even, like, that play, if you rewind it back a little further, he did kind of, uh, you know, he saw the the way the play was developing, kind of changed his direction, got in position to make that play. Um, Yeah, just just great, uh, great from him. Uh, I mean, because that could have been, you know, the difference maker in the game. Um, But, yeah, he, like you said, sulky. That's only the regular season. Um, But he – he, he makes plays like that on a, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, it's, uh, it's so surprising that he hasn't won a Selkie at, at this point in his career yet.
1: Isn't that the kind of play you need from your centers who don't score? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're going to move on to our second segment, which is normally Dave's favorite, the round table. We're kicking the round table right out tonight for you guys. Well, normally that second segment is tapes in the afternoon. We're keeping it live. We'll go to our, our second segment here in a minute, right here on DK Pittsburgh sports radio.
3: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for
0: a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast. Uh, again, the Penguins with a wild five to four win uh, on Long Island to take a two games to one series lead. The teams will meet again. We'll rest up and we'll play again uh, Saturday afternoon, Dave and. And DK will still be there writing about it. And, of course, uh, Taylor will be writing, certainly writing about it as well. Uh, Dave, you mentioned this in, in your opening thoughts on your in, among your headliners, but I want to get into it a little bit more. Uh, Chris Letang, uh, what a start to this series. Tonight, a three-point night. Uh, that was the fifth time in his career in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's had a three-point night uh, passing the great Larry Murphy. Uh, this is uh, for the team lead for defenseman uh again a great night tonight but Dave I think he's had a terrific start to this series your thoughts Uh, oh terrific might be an understatement
1: uh yeah he has just been everything that you would realistically hope that he could be at at this stage of his career um he's uh he's being a a force and a factor at, at both ends of the ice uh he seems to have uh, eliminated just about all of the uh, suspect decision making that uh, dogged his career at, at times this season. Um, I just can't say enough about how how he's played through the first three games.
0: Taylor, what, can you? This may be a rough question. I'm just throwing it at you cold, but. Can you think of of, of of when this started to change? Because, as Dave alluded to, especially early in the season, I can remember the three of us just there were times you shook your head at some of the decisions that he would make. I don't know if it was when Dumoulin came back into the lineup, or maybe later in the season. But he has this has been a really good stretch of play, even uh, before the playoffs. I mean, of course, he everyone has a game here or there, but. Uh, when do you, what do you, what do you think sparked this, 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 I don't want to say turnaround, but just this consistent run of play?
2: Yeah. I don't know if, uh, like you said, to, to pinpoint when exactly this started, I, you know, when they, the Penguins did have that run of injuries, um, the defense, I think was pretty rough around for everyone. Um, Latang did have some good time there with P.O. Joseph on his, on his pairing, but I mean, yeah, he just haven't had a strong season. And, um, I mean, the, regular season series against the Islanders specifically. I mean, he was huge in that. Um, we talked about it before the series. Uh, he was there. He was their leading score against the Islanders in the, in the uh, regular season. He was the only guy with multi, multiple multi-goal games against them, um, which is a big accomplishment for such a, you know, defensive minded team. Like we've talked about. Um, and yeah. And, he's cleaned up the decision making he's been more responsible defensively we've seen that in these playoffs i think it was game 1 pretty early on it was like we uh Dumoulin, like i think it was he made a bad pinch and then like latang bailed him out and then you know he broke up like a 2 on 1 up that long after um but yeah we've just been seeing that through this series more responsible defensively and he's been putting the points too so yeah he's been great
0: dave this isn't on the script but i know you're you're a hall of famer you'll be able to handle it one of the things I really liked about the Penguins games tonight, when you think of all the goals, I mean, it was pretty straightforward hockey, was it not? Not there was, I don't think there was a cute goal in the bunch of the five. Uh, getting pucks to the net, LeTang gets, takes the, take the puck, fires it on goal. Uh, uh again we we mentioned this early with Carter i think that is you you of course plaw, applaud the beautiful plays in the game but i thought the penguins played a really good straight line type of game tonight to get their goals uh they did and
1: i mean and especially their their first period was was really impressive i thought that uh you know it not just offensively so much even as as their defensive work then they were they were just so sound uh so efficient it was very impressive i I also wondered at the time and and my uh doubts were kind of born out that that they could do that for sixty minutes because it was just so uh efficient so machine like uh that you figured it would uh it would have to break down at times but uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was a it was a very good, you know, for for a team that uh, tends to get a little frilly at times. It, it was a really nice, solid uh, blue collar effort all over the ice. I thought.
0: Uh, Taylor wrote about this today mm. uh, about the Penguins' fourth line. Uh, I ta- I mentioned it today in a story on Teddy Bluger. I think this is uh, again. I use the word arguably a matchup of two of the best fourth lines in the NHL. Uh, everyone always talks about the Casey Zekas line with Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck, the identity line. I, I think the Penguins have a terrific line as well with, with Bluger, Austin, Austin Reese and Tanev. And those two <laughs> units tonight put on a show. I mean, uh, I think both lines contributed two goals. Clutterbuck had two goals himself, uh, uh, Reese ended up losing the the one goal, but had a, had some points. Tanif uh, with the, the 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 big goal. Taylor, just your thoughts on on the way these two lines have performed through three games, and, and especially tonight.
2: Yeah, I, the the Penguins' fourth line has been so huge for uh, the momentum. Um, I think that was most evident in in game two, uh, the way they came out and and the energy they brought. Um, just right from the start of the very first shift. And then something um, that really stood out in, back, back in game two was after those two flat Penguins power plays, um, you know, which again, like I said, really had the potential to swing the momentum in the Islanders' um, direction after they had, you know, those big kills, the Penguins sent, you know, the fourth line right out there uh, right away. And, and they had really, really strong shifts. The first one, they... Um, they had a ton of, like, back-to-back-to-back-to-back chances on their own. And then the next one, you know, they just kept breaking up Islanders' uh, rushes. And um, that – and then, you know, like you said today, yeah, well, up getting the game-winning goal, that's huge. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, just really, really strong. I think, you know, if you're looking at the battle of the two uh, fourth lines, I mean, the Penguins are winning that battle. Um, and I, I, I think we're not supposed to call them the fourth lines. Sullivan doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, he doesn't like ranking his lines like that. And, uh, if you look at, you know, what they're contributing um, – you know, because uh, I, I, I did ask Sullivan about that. You know, between games, you know, like uh, his thoughts on the fourth line, and he said, did, "I'm assuming you're talking about Teddy Bluger's line because he doesn't like <laughs> thinking about them that way." And because um, I mean, they're definitely not fourth in order of importance uh, for what we've seen so far.
0: Dave, the other thing that's interesting about both of those lines is, normally, there there are times you will see teams put their fourth line out against the other team's fourth line just because. Sometimes those are limited players on certain teams. Uh, that is not the case with either one of these teams. These teams, these fourth lines, are often deployed uh, almost never against each other. That they have, you know, with with what we've seen with the fourth line with with the Penguins, they've seen a lot of the barzell Everly, Kamaroff line. Uh, again, the 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 fourth line with the the, the Islanders. Uh, they start every period. They're on the ice. Uh, I think I think Barry Trotz is very comfortable throwing them out against just about anybody.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, in both cases, it it shows the value of of having four good lines that uh, you know that you can routinely use all of them over the course of a game. Uh, you know, we're at at this early stage of the playoffs, it might not be that big of a deal, but as you get into it a few rounds you know if you're uh, your fourth liners are only playing six minutes a game that means uh, somebody a little higher up the food chain is uh, having to carry a lot more minutes and you know it, that can uh, take a toll uh, you know the playoffs are an incredible grind um so you know there are uh, there are real benefits to to having four lines that uh you know, can can contribute, and certainly these two teams uh, are are lucky to have those.
2: If That's I could the- just jump in there on the fourth line, I so I because I'm I'm not in New York because you know the limits on the visiting media. I watched the NBC broadcast today, and I saw people also talking about this last game. Whenever the Penguins' fourth line does something good, Pierre Maguire <laughs> says there's <laughs> there's no analytic to measure that, like. And yeah. I, 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 he's like, I, I don't know. He's, he's, like Pierre under hates, the impression Pierre he
0: hates analytics. He,
2: he does, but he's like under the impression that, you know, the you know, Penguins fourth line really bad analytics, <laughs> but it's all heart. But the, these good things <laughs> that the Penguins, the, that the Penguins fourth liners are doing um, are reflected in the analytics. They have a very good analytics. Like they, <laughs> they, they consistently have like um, uh, not, I think they, they in second uh, today and, and, you know, just, you know, controlling the amount of scoring chances, but um, like game two, they were like by far, like they, they had the best. And it's like every time, and cause that's, you know, the chances they're creating and the good defense that's reflected in that. One. Um, I, Even after Tanev's goal, the first thing like Pierre says, like there's no analytic for that. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> the number of goals. Like <laughs> I, it, the, the idea that, you know, the fourth line guys, you know, must not be very good analytically. Like, no, they're very good.
0: When all hell was breaking loose uh, in that in that monster scrum where the five guys that got sent to the box, I thought it was hilarious that 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 Pierre's biggest comment was, "Oh, there's two Minnesota guys squared off against each <laughs> other," which is just classic Pierre. Dave, back to the winning goal. Uh, you know, I don't know how many guys have the have the patience. The puck is in the air. And, and Tanev has to kind of wait there, does he not? He could have batted at it originally and would probably the goal but would not have counted. But he waited He waited for the puck to kind of come down close to the bar before batting it in. Uh, I think he was asked about that uh, after the game. What did he have to say and, and how impressive just <clears throat> showing the patience before he, he took his cut?
1: Well, I, I really didn't think that he did address the question. It, it was put to him. Uh, you know, in, in terms of the patience required to uh, execute that play. Uh, but I, I thought it was extremely impressive. It was the kind of thing that I would expect to see from a guy like Crosby. You right. Know, a a guy who has, you know, complete confidence in his offensive abilities and, you know, who has, you know, done those sorts of things in the past. Uh, Tanov isn't around uh, primarily for his goal scoring. And uh, frankly, I don't know that I would have blamed him if he had just begun uh, flailing at it when it was, you know, a couple of feet above the crossbar. But uh, but no, he he waited until it got into uh, legal contact range and, uh, you know, got a game-winning goal
0: to show for it. <laughs> My other favorite mo- Tanev moment tonight was right at the end of the game. Uh, I think the, go- the goalies were pulled. That line was obviously on the ice. The puck is along the far wall as we're watching Taylor on TV. And he just rammed a guy on the far wall. He, it was like a, it was like a linebacker going into a blocking sled with his right shoulder. is Like this guy isn't going anywhere. I don't care what happens, but this guy is not moving. That, he almost drove himself through the wall on that play.
2: Yeah, he is he ever not going at full speed, like, not even, like, on the ice, like, off the ice, too? Like, whenever he does something like that, I don't know. I just remember, like, back, you know, we when we were allowed to be around them, um, you know, you'd walk past, like, their pregame soccer games, and he's, like, that same energy he has in the game, he has in the pregame soccer games, like – uh, he's running like full speed. There's like a, like a, like a kind of fence around there where they play and he's running full speed into it. Like trying to you know, get, get the soccer ball. Um, that's just, yeah, he, 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 he can't operate at anything other than that kind of energy. Uh, like, of speed.
0: I, I do worry. He's going to hurt somebody on his own bench after a win. <laughs> The way uh, – we definitely saw it after the the second game. Somebody better tell Jeff Carter about him. I mean, Yankees. he
2: punched – yeah, Pete. after that the second game, the video of the Penguins posted, he punched Teddy Bluger in the ribcage and then almost <laughs> pushed Crosby, like, back over the bench. I mean, all if right. they win the cup and he's on the bench, like, he's just going to start chucking guys over the boards. Like, it's, uh, yeah. It's a hazard.
0: One, one play, I mean, that gets lost in all this. And I, this could have been a big – Big moment in the game had it turned out – had this game gone a different way. Uh, And I think this is our one the closest thing we'll have to a roundtable topic tonight. Um, I believe it was Clutterbuck's first goal. uh, One of the the times where the Islanders had sustained pressure. Uh, The pucks behind the net, uh, again, the Islanders are kind of buzzing in the Penguin zone. And John Marino loses his helmet. Uh, In years past, no big deal. John Marino keeps battling – and whatever. I don't know if the rule was changed this year or last year.
2: Last year, 1920.
0: Okay. I do understand. I think we all understand the the spirit of the thing to protect the player. Uh, but that ended up, Marino had to go to a bench or he takes a penalty. And sure enough, in the, in the screwing uh, puck around the net, uh, the Islanders put that in. I want to ask both of you guys your thoughts on that rule. And again, I think that could have been a big moment in the game if the the Islanders end up winning this game. Dave, start with you on this. Well, there was too much going
1: on um, over the balance of the period to check the rule book. Uh, But I did get a chance to... Check the press release that the uh, that the league put out when the uh, when the rule was adopted, and it sounded from that as if Marino would have had the option to put his helmet back on and stay in the play. I have
2: the rule book okay. pulled up in front of me.
0: This is this is fantastic podcasting stuff. Yeah, no, I have
2: the rule book pulled up in front of me. A player on the ice whose helmet comes off during play shall be assessed a minor penalty if he does uh, not exit the playing surface or retrieve and replace his helmet properly on his head with or without the chin strap fast, uh, fastened within a reasonable period of time. So Marino could have put his helmet back on and he, he had it, he picked it up right away and he skated off with it in his hand. So he could have put, just put that back on. So that's kind of on him. Um, cause he well, had it in his hand right away and he could have put it on. Well, like, yeah, yeah. as far
1: as we know, I mean, there was no damage to the helmet or, you know, anything that would have, yeah. yeah violated the uh the regulation so.
0: i think that that's one of those cases in in any sport where uh the guys themselves don't necessarily know the whole rule and i think Marino was just trying to be you know he probably just knows the first part of it if, the, if if the bucket comes off i better get off but you're right taylor he had it in his hand he probably could have gotten it back on his head and stayed in the play but you know he's probably thinking i don't want to take a penalty here um you know, it is what it is, uh, but it is, it, is a very, it, was a, it was a very interesting moment in the game. And as I said, if the Islanders go on to win that game, uh, that, was, uh, that was a turning point in the game because that got the Islanders back into the game and really uh, things went all crazy after that. All right, when we come back, uh, we will be joined by Molly Walker. Uh, we spoke to her earlier Uh, on Thursday prior to the game, but she had some interesting thoughts on both the Islanders and the Rangers who she covers. So please stick with us here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. And we are delighted to be joined by Molly Walker from the New York Post, uh, Molly covers – just the best way to say it is she covers hockey in New York, covers <laughs> the Rangers, covers the Islanders. Uh, and let's start right there, Molly, because uh, I'll throw out a comparison and you tell me if, if, if there's a chance that this ends up happening. Last year we saw Igor Shcherkin, uh come in, do a great job, ended up kind of taking Henrik Lundqvist's job. Uh, it's still early days, and I'm not saying it's going to happen – at the end of this season. But is Ilya Sorokin the, the future there? And could he push uh, Varlamov out in the next year or so?
3: Well, I think that from the moment that Sorokin was drafted and then after watching him in the KHL for all the time that he was there for, that the Islanders, you know, they wanted they want him to be the future of the organization. But that being said, Semyon Varlamov has just been stellar this season. And he has been all, throughout – his seasons on Long Island. So I think that the NHL now is really leaning toward that goalie tandem system just because of obviously the season was shortened, but because of how long the season is and and that you want a balanced workload, you want fresh legs no matter what. And I think that there are so many more talented goalies in this day and age now that the goalie tandem is really the route that a lot of teams like to go. And that's exactly what at least Barry Trotz makes it seem like for, for this Islanders squad. He's always talking about how they're so confident in both of their goalies and that it could be one or the other. And they really feel like they give, they both give them the same chance to win every night. So I think that Varlamov has, has done well enough to maintain that starting role. And I think that the veteran status that he has and the experience that he has won't exactly edge him out just yet.
0: <laughs> right. You know, around the league, I'm not sure if fans have an appreciation uh, for the, the job that Adam, Pel- Adam Pelich and Ryan Pollock uh, do as a pair. First of all, they're hard for me to say because they sound just <laughs> exactly alike. Uh, what makes them such an effective defensive pairing? We've, we at least saw early in the, se- the series, uh trots trying to get those guys out against the crosby line uh why are they so good together
3: yeah, I think that's that's it right there. Just what you said. They just are such a lockdown duo against the top lines in this league, and and they are they've been playing together for so long, too. I think that's such a special thing about this Islanders team is that they really have a lot of players that have been working together for so long that they know each other's tendencies and they have this chemistry that that really gives them a unique sense of of each other on the ice. And I think that's what Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock really have uh on the ice together is just that long standing chemistry and and they're always out on the ice against the uh, against the top guns and i think that you know when you have a steady diet of of the uh, bruins top line and then like you said the penguins top line and and especially playing in the east this season seeing all those teams that are just i mean it was such a loaded division so they really had a had a nice steady diet of of the top Lines in this league, and they have proven that they are just—they really are locked down. And it's—it's it's a pleasure to watch for those two. Really, Molly,
2: do you think the Islanders can wear down the Penguins with all this hitting in in a long series? And Do you think that's part of the
3: plan coming into the series? Well, I will make a note that I think that whoever is calculating the hits over there in Pittsburgh has a really loose <laughs> hand. <laughs> I, I think that's something that a lot of people say, and I—I I, you know, this is only really my full. First full season on the beat. I covered a bit of half half of last season, I guess I'd say, and I never really noticed it until the first mm-hmm. two, until the first few games here of, of this series. But yes, the Islanders are very heavy on the boards, and I think that in talking to Barry Trotz, he's been pretty pleased with how they've performed along the boards. And and that's just I think what makes this series so unique is the way that these two are matched with the Penguins being so offensively gifted and the Islanders being so defensively gifted that and you know it depends on who you ask if you want to take offense over defense but I think that the one of the Islanders strategies is wearing down their opponents and that's something that they've done a lot they thrive in those low scoring type games because they just find a way to really tire out the guys on the the other end of the ice so I guess we'll we'll see it's going to be a real testament of, of offense versus defense this series.
2: With uh, Anders Lee, what a- aspect of his game do you think the Islanders miss most about him? and how do you think they've coped uh, without
3: him? everything. and <laughs> and particularly the power play. I mean, mm-hmm. he is just such a force in front of the net and he in the way that he screens, the way that he battles. it uh, doesn't matter who's who's standing next to him. He is just has such a knack for getting a body. On, on whoever's trying to battle him out in front of the net. And I think that the Islanders' power play has really struggled uh, with him with his absence. So I think the power play most of all, but they've said it time and time again, nobody can replace Anders Lee's leadership abilities. He's their captain. He always acts like a captain. And he's a real strong voice in the locker room. And I know he's still with the team. And he'll, he probably is still, you know, lending his advice and and, you know, giving his pregame speeches and such like that. But on the bench, he really brings that leadership presence. And I think those are probably the two biggest things that they're missing from him is his power play presence and then his veteran leadership for sure.
1: Uh, Molly, if we could shift the focus to the other team you deal
2: with.
1: (laughs) Uh, Were you surprised uh, when the decision was made to fire John Davidson and and Jeff Gordon? And what do you think? might change with uh, Chris Drury running the show now.
3: I think it did catch me off guard a little bit, but in doing reporting with my dear colleague, Larry Brooks, um, it sounded like this was a decision that Jim Dolan was mulling over for quite some time. And it was really expedited by the games against the Islanders and the Bruins at the end of the, of the regular season. I mean, they were just, outworked, outclassed, and just bodied off the puck left and right. And I think that it what it came down to was two different things that Dolan wanted to go in a different direction that that JD and Gordon uh had a different opinion about, I guess. And the first one is is what I just mentioned is the makeup of the Rangers, that Jim Dolan was not a fan of JD and Gorton's Emphasis on skill and finesse at the expense of will and physicality. And that was a storyline for the Rangers all season. It was just a glaring issue in the makeup of their lineup But they're coming out of their ears and top six talent and it it just, it's not a recipe for a, a playoff contending team at all. And then the other half of it is, I think Jim Dolan is ready to wrap up this rebuild. He is ready to be a playoff contender in the next two years. And I feel like JD and Gorton were More so wanting to trust the process, let it go and and see where it goes and be a little bit more, I guess, play a waiting game almost with the development of the players and such. So I think there was a disconnect in where the team, where they all wanted the team to be going in the next season. So I'll just say that, you know. It was a ultimate goal for the team to make the playoffs this season. It will be a requirement for next season if if that's how Jim Dolan uh, addressed his concerns by cleaning house.
0: <laughs> well, Molly, uh, great stuff. We really appreciate you uh, coming aboard tonight. And, of course, uh, game four uh, set for Saturday in uh, Long Island at the Coliseum, one of Dave Molinari's favorite arenas. He will be there, Molly will be there, and we will be watching, and we will be back with you early next week on the 66 to 87 podcast for Molly Walker, Taylor Haas, Dave Molinari. This is Tom Reed, and we'll talk to you next time on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio.